0: The AIC NSW's Conveyancing Conversations, the podcast series that brings you the latest in case law, legislative updates, and conveyancing practice from a select group of experts in the field. In this episode, Margaret Collier talks to property valuer Adam Sherry. Adam has many years' experience servicing the property industry, including roles in residential property management, residential sales, commercial sales and leasing, and residential valuations. Adam is currently Director of Valuations at Acumentis, Australia's only independent property valuation and advisory services firm. In discussion with Margaret, Adam explores the broadening significance of professional valuations, especially during the time of COVID-19.
1: Hi, Adam. Thank you for your time today.
0: Thank you. Not a,
2: not a problem at all, Margaret. Happy to be here.
1: Okay. Well, I thought we'd start with a general overview about what's been happening with the property market in New South Wales since, say, March and the start of COVID. Um, I assume there's been some impact
2: yeah, there's definitely been an impact. And I might just drop back a few months before that and start the story just a couple of months before when COVID hit. Um, and we actually saw some strong market conditions prior to that. So there were some increases in the Sydney market prior to the COVID massive impact in March. So January and February saw some some slight growth. Um, and then obviously we had the um, COVID hit around, around March, which is when some issues started to happen. There was obviously, I think, around the 25th of March, government came out and said we can't do uh, physical open inspections, Uh, we're going to have to do um, online auctions and things like that and we saw a massive decrease in properties on the market for sale um, and also um, a huge decline in auction clearance rates. So auction clearance rates I think went down to about... Oh, geez, 56% around May. And I think maybe the lowest they hit was about 33%, which is around on the 19th of that month. Um, So there was a massive fall off in interest. People couldn't get out and people didn't really want to go to those online auctions. I heard they weren't terribly popular. I didn't see too much of a overall drop in values. We didn't see. Right. Um, What we saw was, uh, personally, I thought was more circumstantial property transactions where someone may have had to have sell or something like that. And Mm -hmm. there we saw a significant decrease, sometimes of up to 10%. But it wasn't clear and across the board, you couldn't actually say the market was going down. Um, It seemed to be property specific rather than a blanket overall decline in property values over that period. However, in saying that, the stock is still quite low. So even though a lot of stock came off the market... And now some, some stock has started to, to resurge back into the market. The stock levels are still actually quite low, uh, especially in terms of uh, existing second-hand freehold property. And we are actually still seeing some increases across those those markets at the moment.
1: Right. So does that mean, though, that we've seen turnover, quick turnover, low mar- low number of properties on the market, but a reasonably quick turnover? Because the reporting we've been getting from our members is that in some areas, yes, it suddenly died. But in other areas, they reported no change. And in fact, a couple of areas, they said, actually, things have picked up. Yeah. We can't figure out
0: why.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right, Margaret. There is a bit of that going around. And it's, um, it's the funny thing about this market is that I keep telling my valuers, you've got to be looking every single day and speaking to agents and making multiple phone calls and doing your research because it's unprecedented times. Mm-hmm. Um, there's little micro markets all through Sydney, Um, from regional locations to property types, whether it be freehold or strata properties. And what we're seeing is that there's no real consistency across those property types, regions or whatever. There is definitely some increases, but you're also seeing, as I said, some property-specific cases where there actually has been a decline as specifically because of COVID. Right. Um, And I think we're all hoping that this COVID experience is is going to be relatively short-lived and... No one really knows how long it's going to go on for, and that's my overview of the market. I don't think no one really knows what's what's going to happen here. Um, a lot of people thought there was going to be a, a massive fall off in property values when this thing hit. Um, that hasn't been the case. We've seen some leveling, some increases, maybe some declines in some of the high rise and high density units and things like that. Mm-hmm. But in, overall, it's it's um, quite difficult to put a finger on what's going to happen. We keep getting all these. Uh, obviously, media releases about unemployment. Um, obviously, there's going to be a change to the government stimulus, which is the $750 a week payment. And also, the banks are going to start to change the having on hold of the interest payments and stuff like that. So, that's mm-hmm. all going to come to a change. And when that does, I'm really not 100% sure what's going to happen. I think that the stock levels being still so low especially with that second-hand property, and there is seems to be a lot of buyer interest at the moment, mm-hmm. um, I think that we might see, hopefully, not too much of a tragic impact on the property market.
1: Well, we're in coming into the traditional spring, spring. market, so um, hopefully that will pick things up. REI um, made representations to the New South Wales government about having people on site to do auctions, and they were able to get some exemptions, so although... Um, there are still restrictions on how people can stand and how close together they are, et cetera. I've noticed a number of sort of auctions where it happens outside the front boundary, people are on the footpath and on the street. It's a little bit, it is. <laughs> a little bit dodgy. It is.
2: It's different to what we're used to, <laughs> it, isn't it? It's, it is. Um, but I suppose um, that just goes to show that there's still a lot of interest out there. There's mm. numbers flooding through. Um, I was only speaking to an agent the other day who was Was a, a, block standard, a stock standard property in, in Cronulla. Um, I think they had almost 50 people through
1: right. in
2: one on one weekend. Mm. Um, so there is definitely strong buyer yeah. interest out there at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I suppose I'm not sure if I put it down to people have got nothing else to do or nowhere else to go. Uh, um, right. They're stuck <laughs> in city. Scary. Might have a few other places you can go on a holiday, but no one's travelling. Um, no one's spending money on travel as much as they used to. I um, suppose household savings are going up, right. and people have a bit more disposable income and yes. looking at buying a property.
1: Mm, okay. One of the things that have has been reported to us by members is that in the wake of COVID hitting back in March, was they found that over the past couple, following couple of months, that getting loan approvals out of banks seemed to drop dramatically and where it would sometimes take a week or so to get an approval through, it was suddenly taking weeks and weeks and getting exchanges um, finalised and um, extending cooling off periods was extremely difficult. I assume that there was problems with valuing bank
2: properties There was, there banks. was, and I think you're right there, it was, it was actually really, really bad. I think sometimes it blew out to some lenders saw about 45 days um, to hearing back for an approval or something like that. So it was a really extended period you're waiting to hear back from your lender. So what happened was um, there was the banks had to bring into emergency protocols to allow us to value under these conditions. Um, Obviously, there was a lot of fear at the time around COVID and and people, the the community transmission of COVID um, and having strangers come into your house and looking around your house and and touching things and (laughs) moving through your house. So there was obviously a lot of people that were scared of someone coming to the house and infecting them or them themselves being infected and in turn infecting the value when they come out to the house. So the the banks all got together and passed some emergency protocols um, which allowed us to value the property externally. So there was two types of inspection. There was a partial external inspection which included the valuer coming to the, the front of the house and just looking at the front of the house, taking some measurements and then relying on the owners' or tenants' um, third-party photos that would upload to a specific link and portal through the bank's websites that were actually geocoded and everything to show that, yes, that those photos were taken in that location at that time. Um, and the value out would prepare their report on the basis of, of those third-party photos and they're, they're either partial or full external inspection. So that was the way the banks got around it, but it obviously did slow things down mm. um, because there was a process to go through to get to that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so you'd and have
1: that to, And that backlogged. causes a delay. So they'd yeah. say,
2: okay, you'd call it like this person doesn't want to let them come into the house because they've either returned from overseas or they're worried that the valuer has...
1: Been somewhere. Been
2: somewhere or was infected yep. with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, then the bank would have to assess that information, make sure that it's, it's true and correct and it's just not somebody not wanting mm-hmm. to let the person into their house. Mm-hmm. And that could take maybe three to four days. And then once oh. that period lapsed, um, they would let the, the valuer go there. So there's probably maybe a week of where the bank had to do some extra checks and running around an organisation and some admin to allow the valuer to, to go out there and do that external inspection. But from that point of view, there should have been no real further delay from the valuer. There was no difference in what we were doing in terms of our, of our valuation. Just the fact that we didn't have the, um, the privilege of actually going through and internally inspecting it, we're doing it based on third-party information.
1: Keeping on with COVID, because it's been such a big factor this year, both the state and federal governments have announced several policies in the face of COVID in various aspects of life. Uh, have any of these directly impacted on the property market?
2: Well, I think the biggest one, Margaret, is the, the, home, buyer's, uh, the home Builders Grant. Sorry. Right. Um, which I think was um, commenced on the 4th of June 2020. And that's run by New South Wales Revenue, um, but it's funded by the the Australian government. Um, And what that grant does is it gets grants of $25,000 to eligible, and I say that you have to be eligible. (laughs) Eligible, Um, There is lots of ins and outs in terms of do you qualify for it when you're either building a new home or substantially renovating an existing dwelling. Some of the provisos to make you eligible is basically it's got to be an individual or a, a couple um, so it can't even be a, a brother or a family member. Right. Um, to be, you have to be an individual listed on the actual certificate of title right. or a couple on the certificate of title. And you have to pass the couples test. So um, it's two people that are legally married or registered in a, in a domestic relationship. There's a whole mm-hmm. government spiel on that. Nice. Um, but they're two, they're the first minor things that you have to qualify to be eligible to qualify for that. There is obviously two things that I mentioned. There is the the first one, which is the um, for new homes, and then you've got for renovated homes. So some of the the um, stipulations around the new home is that it's got to be worth less than seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, including GST. So that's your, your land component and the house component. It has to be less than twenty, um, less than seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. And if you are going to renovate a home, the works have to be valued between a hundred and fifty and seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And that they do consider knocking down a home and building a new home to be considered as a extensive renovation. Oh. So that would be included in there. So if you had um, a block of land that was valued at a, a million bucks um, and you wanted to build a new house, you could apply for that. But what we'd have to do is obviously first prove that your house is, is worth a million dollars and that's where a value would come in. Right. Um, the value would produce a valuation report, that the um, New South Wales Revenue would rely on, much like a stamp duty report, mm-hmm. um, and then that would go with your supporting documentation to the um, New South Wales Revenue to allow you to apply for that grant.
1: So do grants like this sort of stimulate the market in terms of people being willing to purchase because they know that if the per- they purchase and they're going to build, then they've got some sort Definitely, of... Definitely, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Um, I've, I've had people from our own organization that have um, recently bought properties and are actually going to go through and, and claim in this grant, um, and they said they probably wouldn't have bought that property right now if it wasn't for that reason, Right. that um, it gives them that twenty five that that extra money to go in there and get that renovation off the ground, um, whereas normally they would have to save up for the deposit, then buy and then save for six months, 12 months, however long it would be, to get that twenty five thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to do your kitchen or do your bathroom that Mm -hmm. wasn't done to your standards when you moved in, is definitely getting some people interested in there. So we've actually been seeing a lot of these requests come through to us, more so for the renovation part of it. Right. Whereas because most people buying a new home will have a a contract that will stipulate the value of the property, and New South Wales revenue will deem that...
1: Evidence. ...as evidence, Mm -hmm.
2: unless it's outside of 12 months. So if that contract was outside of 12 months, you'd have to prove to the um, revenue again that was, yes, it was still 750, and that's when you would need a valuation again. You could either use the bank valuation that's already been done, and they do accept the bank valuation. If you didn't have a bank valuation, you would have to basically engage a, uh, your own value to. Produce that evidence for the New South Revenue.
1: The other thing that's been the big issue (laughs) over the last couple of years, well, a couple of years, I guess, but more so in the last 12, 18 months, is how property values can be affected by things like asbestos, loose fill asbestos or asbestos materials, and also the drug contaminated properties where property's been used as a meth lab, for example, by a tenant, vendor puts the property on the market and The property has a reputation in the area, and so it affects the value not only of that property but maybe the properties in the immediate vicinity. Is that a real thing, or is that just sort of one of those urban myths that have come about? No,
2: it's it's definitely a real thing. As a matter of fact, I've had a my brother's property was was used like that, and only a couple of days ago, um, maybe last week, sorry, maybe maybe about a week ago, um, one of our valuers went through a place that had been used as a um, grow house basically so they're growing marijuana in the house. I think it is a little bit more common than, than people think right um, and it is definitely an ongoing issue um, and it does affect value whether it be from the seller's point of view. Or if a renter knows that it's been used before, you may even be taking some reduction in redu- reduction in rental value.
1: Right. So it's definitely a, um, an inspection that people should take if they're buying a property or if they're about to rent a property out?
2: Yeah, it looks. I, don't, I wouldn't say it's an absolute necessity. But if if you have concern, genuine concerns for your, your family's health and safety or you want to make sure you are handing over a home to someone and covering your own due diligence and making sure you're handing over a home that is, is safe to live in, I think it's a, a an important thing to do, especially in, in these times when um, it might not only be a being used as a, um, a, a house to, to manufacture or, or grow um, these illegal substances and drugs, mm-hmm. um, it could just be down to the simple um, use of the drugs inside the home, um, which can also have a health effect on... Um, future residents of those of those properties. So um, it is something definitely to consider when you're buying a home or, or renting a home out. Uh, is it is it free of these hazardous substances? Mm-hmm. And um, are you going to be affecting somebody else's family by not looking yes. into um, that? So as a purchaser, if I was going to be doing it for an um, investment property, it's probably something that I would, be, I would be looking at. And if I had a young family as well, it's probably something that I would be considering as well. So there is a, a company that we have... Partnered with, right? Um, which are called Swab First, mm-hmm. um, and they're a, a South Australian based company um, who we have come into partnership recently, um, and we actually conduct these these type of inspections now. So we we can do it, multiple things at the same time. But normally, if we go out there, we do one of these inspections. It takes no longer than fifteen minutes, and it's a matter of taking actual. Drugs, oh, drug right. swabs from the war, um, so we be have all been trained by swab first, and there is a process you have to go through um, to ensure the security and the, the non-transfer of other materials into that package, mm-hmm. and they get sent off to the lab, analysed, and a report is made available to the, the to the um, purchaser who is buying the report within 48 hours, I think, of, right. of, of, of the results getting to the lab.
1: So is it an expensive report, is it?
2: No, the, the, the costs vary. Um, so I think you can actually get some um, DIY kits where they'll send you a single swab if you've got any, um, right. I suppose, initial concerns that you just want to you don't want to pay for a full swab. But mm-hmm. you might think there's there has been something in there. So they'll send you a single swab. Right. Um, I think that's about one hundred dollars, one hundred fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have, um, which is our service, which is the the multi-zone test they call it, right. um, which will, which will cover most three to five bedroom homes. And gives you the option of choosing multiple zones, um, so maybe two bedrooms, a kitchen and a laundry or whatever, um, to have swabbed. And then those, those individual rooms we sent off and, and sent to the lab for, for testing. They test for a range of substances. So I think they are nicotine, methamphetamine,
1: uh,
2: yes. amphetamine, ecstasy, marijuana and cocaine, I think are the main ones they test for. Right. It's set to international standards. Oh, there is a
1: standard for these reports, is
2: there? Yeah, the the actual testing, the actual level of testing. Um, So it's basically the same level as testing that you would go through when you're at the airport, and they swab you for drugs at the airport. Right. Um, So it's the same level of testing for that. So it's it's yeah, it's international standard. So they pick up the most minute traces of these substances.
1: Right. Now, one thing that you did mention earlier about valuations that sort of twigged in my a a small memory and my mind was that I know that when people are doing family transfers and things like that and Revenue in New South Wales needs a valuation for stamp duty purposes, I remember that the valuer I used to work with used to always specifically ask me, what's the purpose of this valuation? And I, I always thought at the time that a valuation is a valuation. What, what do you mean? What, what, does, what difference does it make that it's... Um,
2: the purpose makes the purpose makes a it doesn't make any difference to the overall end value of the of the property, mm-hmm. um, but it makes a difference to to how you write your report and how you you just address your report and and yeah. what goes into your report too. Um, so for something like a, a stamp duty report, um, you want to know the purpose because you want to know that it's going to be addressed to right. Office of State Revenue, so they are allowed to rely on the report, and also that you're not producing a Full speaking long form report for someone who only wants to go to the office of revenue and say it's worth X, a report like a pre purchase report you may be paying a thousand plus dollars for, mm-hmm. whereas if I don't think someone's going to pay a thousand dollars for for a standard report, I'd never charge someone a thousand dollars for a standard report anyway. Um, they just want a basic two three page report that yeah. um, meets the requirements of the state revenue and doesn't cost them more money than what they have to. Right. So the purpose is, is, is very important. When getting instructed by someone, we always want to know what the purpose is. And I think some people, some they just say, oh, it's just a evaluation. I'm saying, yeah, but a, is it a separation? Are you getting divorced? Is it going to be used in court? Is it <laughs> yeah. going to be relied on by multiple parties? One party wants to go into the report. Mm-hmm. So um, it is really good if you want to engage a, a valuer that you you work out what the exact purpose of your report is before you engage them. Mm-hmm. Um, that way you can ensure you're going to get a... A more accurate quote um, come back and rather than them quoting you for something that you don't need.
1: I suppose, for the same, by the same token, that's why there's a range of values. When you look at a valuation report, it's very rare you get a dollar amount. It's usually between here and here, but that range sometimes seems fairly broad. Is there a reason for that?
2: Um, there is. Um, so, a broad range will normally mean that you've got poor sales evidence. So it all comes right. down to what evidence you have. So you may have a very limited amount of sales in the past 12, 18 months, which gives you a broader range in value because there's nothing directly comparable to, to what you're looking at. You're looking at stuff far worse. You're looking at stuff far better. You know you're probably somewhere in between, um, but there's no concrete evidence to support exactly where you fall within that range. So the, the, way in, the range gets wider the poorer your evidence is. The more concrete your evidence, the narrower your range should be. So on my reports, I like to, if a pre-purchase, I will give a range, but mm-hmm. I always like the, my ranges to be as tight as possible. Um, but I'll always be specific if I give a wide range and say this is why my, my, my range is, um, say, wider than 5%, more like a 10 or 12% mm-hmm. range. Um, the value should really be clarifying why their range is is that wide, they shouldn't just be giving you a, a value with a big range and not saying anything. There should be some specific reasons in that report as to why their their range is is greater than a five percent range or something like that.
1: Are there any other misconceptions and misunderstandings about valuations generally that people should be aware of?
2: Yeah, I, I think so. The one that I suppose the one that bothers me the most is it's a bank valuation, so it's going to be low, right? And conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have no shadow of a doubt that there are some valuers out there that are. Are conservative, but I, I I assume they're conservative by nature in their general life, not just their occupation. Right. But we like to to make sure here at Acumentus that our valuations are as close to market value as possible. Right. Don't like being conservative. Being conservative doesn't help the lender or our or the bank or the bank's customer. Um, you really got to try and get those is close to market value. So that's probably the one that annoys me the most is when Mm. you turn up at somebody's house and it happened this morning. I said, oh, it's going to be low. You're a a valuer. But um, yeah, not always the case or it shouldn't always be the case. It should always be close to market value. And if you're getting a conservative one, I'd say that value is just conservative by nature rather than conservative by occupation.
1: Right. Okay. Okay, well, I think we'll leave it there then. Beautiful. Okay, thanks, Adam. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Margaret. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to this AIC NSW Conveyancing Conversation. Many thanks to Adam Sherry for his participation and to Acumentis for providing the venue. Your responses, ideas and suggestions can be sent to events at aicnsw.com.au. This podcast is a production of Pulley & Go. I'm Julian Pulvermacher and I look forward to your company next time. This podcast is a guide only. Nothing in this podcast is intended to be legal advice and should not be taken as legal advice. Should you require any further information on any aspect of the podcast, you should refer to AICNSW or a licensed conveyancer.